Hey there, welcome to Tea with Mara. Thanks for seeking out these recordings and listening. My name is George, or you may know me in the metaverse as Kiyoki from Together with Trip. These recordings are from my live sessions in virtual reality and may sometimes feature other content. For the best experience of these sessions, you can join me in virtual reality. But when you can't, or if you want to go back and listen again, these audio or video recordings will be offered freely to all. To join us in VR or for the live broadcast on our Discord server, you can find our full schedule of events by visiting trip.com events, including instructions on how to join us in VR. You can even join in 2D mode from a computer. If you wish to support my teachings and these recordings, the best way to do that is to leave a review and share this podcast with others. And if you find value in them and you want to, you can make a donation offering right through the Two Hands Sangha website or soon through the podcast itself. All links should be found in the show notes. Now let's invite the bell and begin. Good evening. Welcome. I can't thank you all enough for being here, for taking time out of your life to give that time back to your life, <laughs> uh, which is what we're doing, giving giving this time to ourselves in the form of practice. And, uh, you know, that's I guess that's the kind of giving or the kind of taking that's actually giving. <laughs> And in a, in a sense, I guess that's a little bit about what we'll talk about tonight, kind of. Uh, uh, I was asked by somebody recently to do a talk on the topic of love, and I did that. And I think I said during that talk that I feel like I just barely even scratched the surface of that. There's just so much to it. It's such a broad topic. But I was asked by somebody else to do a talk on the difference between metta, or loving-kindness, and karuna, or compassion. And I suppose that maybe contemplating that talk on love might be why the other person asked me to talk about these two, uh, because I could see where that talk would have left some people with that question. So, you know, maybe my usage of terms like metta or karuna might have confused them, or uh, loving kindness and compassion might have brought up this question because they can sometimes come across as feeling similar when we talk about them. And it's a very good question because indeed they are very similar sounding when described sometimes. And it's even confusing to most of the devoted practitioners I know because a lot of teachers out there speak of practicing loving kindness and when they do, they'll use the word compassion as part of that description. And I suppose the waters can get a little muddy sometimes. So maybe tonight we'll clear up the muddy water a little bit. <laughs> or maybe we'll muddy it further. <laughs> I don't know. But whatever happens, I can promise you that if you let muddy water sit long enough, it settles and it becomes clear. <laughs> so uh, maybe even if you're unclear after tonight's talk, 
on any of this, maybe practicing sitting with these things will allow them to settle in and maybe you'll gain a clear knowing, I hope. <laughs> so the term for the heart practices is the Brahma Viharas in, in the Dharma. We, in, the, in the language of the Buddha's time, they called it the Brahma Viharas, which gets translated in a lot of different ways, many different terms for it. But generally speaking, the word Brahma in the Buddha's time meant gods. And Vihara means dwelling. So Brahma Vihara means dwelling of the gods, or where the gods dwell, or divine dwelling, or divine abodes, or the divine abidings, or any of those other terms that you hear for it. When we hear that, we think of maybe dwelling in a house. So you could say that the four heart practices are the four faces of a house, each facing a different direction, but all part of creating the same strong house. And that's kind of a really good way to think of that. If you think of a house built with strong walls, you might think of a house as a safe place to dwell. And the safest place to dwell with the safest walls, you might think of as a Brahma Vihara. And none of this is an accident. <laughs> the Buddha was teaching that the heart when it's radiating love and compassion and joy and calm in all directions toward all beings, it becomes an unshakable place of refuge. The house built of pure heart is lasting happiness. Unshakable, unbreakable happiness is Nibbana. Or Nirvana, or the deathless, or voidness. We have so many words. <laughs> For these things, all of these things. But awakening isn't outside of you, it's inside of you. So that house is built in your heart. Your safe refuge can be found and strengthened and realized within your own heart mind. You know, seeing my daughter, for example, seeing my daughter come into this world and holding this tiny little life in my arms was like, striking oil in a wide empty field you know i already had what i would say was a fairly kind heart but seeing her for the first time or for the next billion times was sort of like this seemingly plain field that suddenly spouted a geyser of loving kindness as though i'd struck oil you know so to speak and the next thing you know, old George was a millionaire, at least in terms of loving kindness. But, you know, seeing her face screw up in, you know, dissatisfaction, <laughs> seeing her little bottom lip curl up and her eyes start watering and squinting and seeing her cry for the first time, you know, that brought forth karuna or compassion a desire to take away her pain or her sadness or her discomfort or dis-ease. And then watching her smile for the first time gave me a sense of joy and happiness. Happiness for her happiness, not for anything for me. Just happy because she was happy. 
And that's mudita or appreciative joy. And then when the countless many different ways occur <laughs> in which she becomes, you know, as a baby would become overexcited about something she wanted or devastated if she didn't get it from one extreme to the other, loving her enough with enough stability that I didn't become elated or distressed with her along with her, you know, uh, as she experienced those things. And that's equanimity. And so that's just one example that for me is very easy to understand because she's my kid. <laughs> so it's very easy for me to understand that example. But that's one example of the Brahma Viharas. And I use the example of my daughter because it's so easy for me to do, but it could be anything or anyone, any being, any object, anything at all, a puppy, a kitten, a friend for different people. So loving kindness is how we can hold the space of goodwill or friendliness for those that we love at first, which is easy because we love them, right? But eventually it also, after it's strengthened and built up enough, it eventually also allows us to have that same sense of goodwill toward even those that we don't like. And it gets stronger and it expands and it goes from the easy ones like a puppy or a kitten or a flower or a bumblebee uh, to someone we like a whole lot because they have been good to us. And then from there we strengthen it further and we learn to have that sense of kindness toward the ones that we hardly even know, the neutral people, you know, and eventually the difficult ones, and then others, and more others, and eventually all the others. And then eventually we realize that there are no others, but that's a different talk. <laughs> and at first it's easy. It takes zero effort for most of us to act without thinking, to protect a puppy or a baby that's in distress. But we... You know, we hail people on the evening news as heroes when they act to ease the suffering of a stranger in a car accident or prevent a disaster that might have harmed many strangers. So hopefully you see the idea of how it expands, you know, and how it becomes easier with practice. The four faces of our dwelling, our Brahma Vihara, grow stronger as we practice and experience all these things. So as we practice and experience these things, each one uh, can face a different challenge. Each of those faces faces a different challenge. And together, they all create that divine refuge, that divine abode that we dwell in. And please be clear when I use the word divine, I'm not referring to a divine being. Simply a word describing perfection or lasting happiness, you know. Maybe the only thing that there is that's perfect. <laughs> in the Metta Sutta, the Buddha said, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble, not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them do not the slightest thing 
that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and those yet to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger nor ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards toward the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Now, first of all, that's just beautiful, I think. It's lovely. It's fairly brief as suttas go, and yet it's so dense at the same time. If it was food for our heart, you would call it nutrient dense. <laughs> I won't even be able to cover everything that's packed into that. But some key things for tonight's talk are, he's telling us that the ethical characters, you know, the ethical characteristics that lead to this kind of uh, way of being. So he's telling you how to live to facilitate that more easily. The way that a person should live to best cultivate it. He makes it crystal clear crystal clear that this is to be practiced for all beings everywhere, not just the ones we like. And one of the most important ones I want to point out is that he gives us the origin of the most common phrases we use for metta practice. He's speaking mostly of them as intentions, but modern teachers have sort of solidified these into four commonly used phrases. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease. Which appear in the sutta as phrases like, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. In other words, may you be happy is gladness, may you be safe is safety, may you be at ease is itself. And you can infer from those a desire for good health. Because one in good health is not unhappy or unsafe or in a state of dis-ease. He tells you all of the postures that you can meditate within. You know, all the postures that will 
work for you to meditate in. He says standing, walking, sitting, or lying down. So don't buy it when somebody tells you that you have to fold yourself up like a pretzel and meditate, you know, or that you're doing it wrong if you're not doing that. Follow the teachings direct from the Buddha. Sitting, walking, standing, or lying down. In other words, you can meditate anywhere, any way, as long as you're doing it without drowsiness. <laughs> he says that too, right? In other words, staying alert, any posture you like. And another important one in there, he uses the example of a mother loving her only child and protecting it. It's no accident that I use the example of my daughter. For a parent whose life has prepared them for it, it's an obvious and easy way to express this concept of unconditional love. Most parents would understand that. Not all, but most. <laughs> so I love the Metta Sutta. It's so beautiful. And it's also unique in that while the Buddha is always teaching all of these four heart practices throughout the Pali Canon, you know, throughout the, the various scriptures, Metta gets its own special treatment in this sutta, and the others don't really explicitly get it the same way. This underscores the foundational nature of Metta. And since I started the whole house metaphor earlier, maybe, you know, the meta face of the four faces of our house is like a firewall. The wall that's built to withstand more or protect more in a house. And that's a bit of a weird stretch and I've probably worn out the metaphor. <laughs> I messed up my own metaphor that I typically use, which is the foundation. Anyhow, in the Buddha's teachings, he highlights the distinct aspects of metta, such as the fact that it's for all beings and the directions, all directions and all of that. And he talks about metta and he talks about compassion, but he talks about them in different ways. Metta is the unconditional wish for all beings everywhere to be happy. It's an unconditional and universal sort of embodiment of the wish for love and for kindness. But it's not based on the merit of the recipient. In other words, it's for anyone. The Metta Sutta clearly guides us to cultivate this boundless heart of love for all beings. All beings. We don't get to cherry pick that. <laughs> it's not how it works. You can start by cherry picking, but the goal is to be able to love all beings. It begins with the development of you know, these sort of benevolent or friendly thoughts towards yourself. And then it extends outward towards others, breaking down all those barriers of separation that we spend our whole lives building up before we start practicing. <laughs> and Karuna, on the other hand, compassion, it's the wish for all beings to be free from suffering and to relieve them from that suffering, if at all possible. It's not just a wish, it's an action. So I was asked, what's the difference? And that's the main difference is, you know, loving kindness is wishing love towards everyone, you know, sending uh, thoughts of love towards all beings. But compassion is what you get when love meets pain. Then there's an action and it's without thought for your own benefit. It's a sensitivity to the suffering of others. Compassion. It's a commitment to alleviate it. 
And if you're a Mahayana Buddhist, it's literally a commitment to alleviate everyone's suffering before your own. If you're a Theravadan Buddhist, not so much. You can take care of yours so that you can take care of everybody else's. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of uh, two different approaches. Compassion arises when we encounter suffering, as I said, when love meets pain. Um, and then we respond with the wish and the actions, when possible, to relieve it. It involves the empathetic sharing of other people's pain, coupled with the desire to help. And the primary difference between the two is in their focus. You know, metta is about cultivating that wish for happiness for yourself and for others. And karuna is about the desire to alleviate the suffering. So both of those qualities are related and also support one another. You know, and loving kindness gives us that foundation I talked about where compassion can stand solidly, you know. So the stronger our loving kindness is, the, the, the stronger our compassion can be. It doesn't mean you can't have compassion without a super strong foundation of loving kindness, but it makes it easier. It makes it more likely that we want to alleviate the suffering of those that we hold dear. Because, so if we, if we have loving kindness for someone, we're more likely to want to help them. That's why it's good foundation. It grounds it in the reality of their experience of suffering. And it makes our love more empathetic and more actionable. And that actionable is the key part. The Buddha taught us about the importance of developing both of these qualities in balance for spiritual cultivation. And that that would lead to the purification of the mind and overcoming what he called the defilements. And when you've uprooted all of the defilements in your mind, and in your heart, then you're free from suffering. Defilements is simply means the things that get in the way of our path to lasting happiness. So again, I use the example of my daughter, and the Buddha used the example of a mother loving her only child. And I feel like parents understand these two and their differences very well. And yes, I know that some people hear that and they kind of scoff at it or get upset because maybe their parents weren't there for them in that way. Some of us might feel that our parents didn't know the first thing about love and compassion. But hear me out. I would say that maybe they did. Maybe the parents who didn't show up for us in that way, maybe they did... Uh, meet that pain. Maybe they too met that sense of pain or those feelings of unconditional love, but maybe they weren't ready for that meeting. Maybe when they came face to face with it, their own causes and conditions had not prepared them to stand that close to the thin veil between relative reality and the vastness of absolute reality. I guess you could say they weren't prepared for the absolute part of absolute reality. 
I mean, if you think of that for a second, you know, think about that. Relax and open your heart and try to put aside your pain from that if you're one of the people who had parents who didn't show up for you that way. Relax your heart for a little bit if you can. I know it's a lot to ask. Relax your heart and think about standing at the edge of everything. Think about standing at the edge and looking out and seeing a love that's so vast, that's uh, completely vast. (laughs) And not feeling prepared for that experience. Feeling like nobody taught you how to be ready for that. Because your parents had not been taught. And their parents had not been taught. And so on. You know the saying, hurt people hurt people, right? What do humans do when they're afraid? Well, most people, when something scares them, they run or they get angry. They experience fight or flight. I accidentally startled my wife this morning in the bathroom. I came around the corner and said something and all I... I just started talking was all, but she didn't expect it. And I startled her and she said, I was lucky she didn't punch me in the face. (laughs) I was thinking she's lucky she didn't punch me in the face, but that's just, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. But (laughs) I used to be the same way Uh, for the first decade of our marriage. She knew that if she startled me awake, I might grab for a weapon or come up swinging, you know? Thankfully, those days in my life are past. (laughs) But imagine that person whose life didn't give them the tools they needed and maybe gave them a whole different set of tools that not only didn't prepare them, but made it worse. And imagine if they have to live with something that they can't reconcile in their minds and hearts. They would likely resist through violence and aversion. And subsequently, they would create more causes and conditions that hopefully the next generation would have the ability to find a way to heal before they're faced with the same problem themselves so that that cycle can be broken. What's really wild is when someone who has people in their lives who were unable to handle that, if they find a way to transform their own suffering, then one day the metta practice that they do, even if they don't know it as metta, even if it's disguised as some other practice, like some other religious practice, you know, no matter what you call love and kindness, it's still love and kindness. So one day that practice for them, which I will call metta, whatever it looks like for them. One day, it builds a big enough, solid enough foundation in their heart that it makes it possible for them to establish compassion powerful enough to forgive their own transgressors. To not harbor hate for the ones that hated them. Imagine that. How hard that would be and how powerful it would be. And how it literally transforms suffering. So metta is loving those people. Compassion is acting on that love to help them ease their own suffering. 
And that's a big ask. But it's possible. I think we always tend to think of meta or even just the word love as reciprocal, as a part of a transaction, and we tend to misunderstand meta as that kind of love. But have you ever noticed that when you practice metta, which is loving kindness, when you practice metta, the phrases that we use, at least if you're using the traditional ones I mentioned earlier, which are based on the metta sutta, they don't actually say anything about love. It talks about happiness and health and safety and being free of dis-ease or discomfort. And there's a reason for that. It's because the Buddha wasn't talking about the love that you have for a spouse or, you know, whatever, until they cheat on you. <laughs> and then it goes away. He was talking about the kind of love you have for your spouse, regardless of whether they cheat on you. In other words, loving all beings, no matter what. So he's not talking about the love that puts a ring on your finger. He's talking about love for all beings because they are beings. When you get that close to that veil and you peer beyond it, that vastness is the love you have for a child. And some people have that for pets or plants or anything. Hopefully for everything and everyone. If you have that kind of unconditional love for everything and everyone, you're a long way down the road to awakening if you're not there already. I guess you could say metta is the foundational, unconditional wish for all beings to be happy. And karuna enables the movement into the action that makes it so. Let's go ahead and meditate for a bit. I'm going to send loving kindness to the dogs barking out in my neighborhood right now. It's funny, the dogs in the neighborhood barking are probably barking because of the deer wandering around the woods back there. <laughs> Fight or flight. They haven't figured out the whole meta thing yet. So go ahead and let go into a posture. As we already said, it can be sitting, standing, walking or lying down for the sake of our VR walking might not be a good idea, but you do you. The important thing is that that posture is stable and that it's enough of a, enough of a quote unquote proper posture, whatever that means that you're alert and not falling asleep. That's really the only criteria. <laughs> he said so in the sutta, right? Sitting, walking, lying down, or standing with alertness, 
or actually he said without drowsiness. <laughs> Not tense, shoulders relaxed, your hands can be resting in your lap or wherever you like. You can allow your eyes to be closed and lowered a bit if they're open, sort of unfocused. We can start with a big, deep in-breath and a long, slow exhale, and you can do as many of those as you need till you're settled, calm. And you can do a little metta practice. You can, with each inhale, you can sort of imagine pulling in a sense of peace and calm into your heart space. For me, that's like above the chest and below the throat. It's that place where I feel it when I get choked up. That place where when I'm happy for my daughter's happiness or when she smiles or when she walks into the room, it's that place above my heart where it kind of chokes. And you can imagine filling it, filling that space with, you know, bright, warm light. And on the exhales, you can let that light sort of radiate outward and spread in all directions, spreading kindness and goodwill for yourself, spreading out in all directions of your body, your heart and your mind, filling your body, your heart and your mind with warm light, brightness, and a sense of goodwill. And you can think to yourself, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. You can repeat that to yourself a few times. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. And the thing is, the phrases really aren't that important. As I said before, the Buddha really meant these to be as intentions. So more of a, of a deep, genuine feeling, as genuine as you can feel it, whatever that is. doesn't matter how big and powerful it is. It matters how genuine it is. And just a tiny bit of genuine feeling is better than uh, a big, fake feeling. <laughs> But even if you have to fake it till you make it, that's okay too. Because it will come. I always say, you know, inclining the heart and mind, right? That which we frequently ponder becomes the inclination of the heart and mind. I didn't make that up. The Buddha did. And that's his point is even if you're faking that sense or if you've got just the tiniest sense of genuine goodwill for yourself. If you practice it over and over and over, 
it becomes the inclination, so it becomes easier and easier to offer it for yourself. And then you can, typically they, you know, say send off that person and invite in the next person. I'm, I'm a big fan of practicing it, and this is just me. It's my own way, but I like to build the crowd. <laughs> I like to leave myself there and bring in the next person with me. Bring in a benefactor, somebody who's been good to me, and say, hey, may you be safe. Stand here with me and be happy and healthy and, and live with ease. And let that light and warmth and brightness expand. And then when you're ready, bring in a neutral person. Somebody you barely know. Somebody you see on your drive to work or at the supermarket or in the drop-off line at school. Not somebody you like or dislike. Just somebody that you see. And say, hey, come join us. May you be safe. May you be happy and healthy. And free of dis-ease. And then, you know, Add to the party. Bring in somebody you don't like as much. <laughs> somebody a little difficult. Not the most difficult, unless you feel ready for that. But just somebody who's a little difficult. Doesn't matter why, it doesn't matter what the story is, just somebody you have a little difficulty with and say, hey, you can join us too. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy and live with ease. Because if you lived with ease and you were happy and healthy and you knew a sense of safety, maybe you wouldn't be such a jerk. You don't want to say that. <laughs> That's the idea. You know, hey, even you, who I have some trouble with, I want, even though we have trouble, I want you to be safe, happy, healthy, and live with ease so that you can know what it is to feel this way. And so that you can start sending this feeling to people around you. We don't have to hang out. We just have to love each other. No big deal. And then look around and see all those people and say, hey, may we be safe. May we be happy. May we be healthy. May we live with ease. And may we send that out to everybody in all directions, in the city, the state, the you know, parish, the, the borough, the, what do they call it? The province, <laughs> the village, wherever you live. May, may they all be safe, happy, healthy, and live with ease. May all beings of any kind, regardless of anything, may they all be safe everywhere 
May they all be happy. May they all be healthy. May they all live with ease and share that with others. Sure would fix a lot of problems in this world. And then you can shift your focus a little bit and you can take that sense of love and kindness that you've built up, that sense of goodwill to whatever degree you've managed to establish that. And you can bring to mind the same order of people. And you can wish compassion for them. You can inhale deep and long, slow exhale. Gather up on the inhale a sense of compassion and warmth. And on the exhale, you can direct that compassion towards all of those people in that order or however you like, really. Silently offering, may your suffering ease. May you find peace and be free from pain. In other words, the wish to alleviate their suffering. And if that's all it can be as a wish, that's good enough. But if you can actually do something to help them, then that's even better. We'll start with that wish. May you be free from your suffering. May you find peace and be free from your pain. And you can practice that as long as you like when you do this on your own. We have limited time here tonight. To let that sit in your heart space, that bright, warm, filled with people who you genuinely care for, even if you don't like them. There's a lot of people that I don't want to hang out with in this world. Lots of politicians and lots of bad people, so to speak. Those bad people and those politicians and those jerks, they're just people who are confused. They're people, as I mentioned earlier, whose life did not prepare them to meet love. And to meet compassion and respond accordingly. Their life didn't prepare them for that. So the compassionate thing in that case is to give them some love and some compassion. So that they can start working on it. And if you have trouble doing that, then give yourself that compassion and that love. Because you're the one struggling and needing that help right now. Wish for yourself some of that goodwill. And then on the foundation of that goodwill, act compassionately toward yourself. May I be free of suffering. May I be free from pain.
We're going to end the meditation there and you can allow your eyes to open and sort of come back into your space if their eyes were closed or you can refocus if they were open but not intent and sort of start coming back into this space. But I want you to really take a moment and, and feel whatever sense of that you felt in your body and where you felt it. How did it feel? How big or small? It doesn't matter. Don't judge it. Just notice it. And make sure you know how to access it again later on if you want to practice this. And then uh, really think about that, about how the people that we don't like and don't want to love are the very ones that need it the most. Because they're not ready. They can't do it. We can and if we can't do it yet, we will be able to. And when we're able to, we'll be able to offer it for them. That's the only way the world's going to change. And you know it's working if you get done and you look around the room at all these beautiful people and you just feel love for them. <laughs> like I do right now for all of you. All right, well, we're going to stop there. You're still here?
It's over. Go practice. Go. Chicken